Hi and welcome to the Directors UK podcast. This episode comes from our Q&A with Lulu Wang, Director of The Farewell. Lulu spoke to Maria Kadabai about the story's beginnings on This American Life, bringing her story to the screen and working with Aquafina. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave us a review. Um, ladies and gentlemen, Lulu Wong. Um, we're going to start off at the beginning of the process. Um, I'm not sure how many people are aware, but um, the genesis of this came from um, a podcast that Lulu did for This American Life. Um, it's true that you always kind of wanted to make it into a feature, but the podcast route seemed the most accessible to begin with. Do you want to talk about that and how that developed into the feature script? Yes, um, <coughs> I had developed, um, been developing the story as a feature for a little bit and pitching it around town and um, and people just didn't really get it, you know, they, they thought it was funny and they saw it as like a big fat Chinese wedding kind of movie. Um, but aside from that, the smaller, more intimate version that was subtitled, but an American film, they didn't get. Um, and so I, you know, kind of took the script in all these different directions where I no longer knew what it was and uh, why I wanted to tell the story in the first place. So I just decided to set it aside. And I was on the festival circuit with a short film of mine that's completely unrelated. And um, a producer from This American Life approached me and said, I really like your film. I really like your voice. What other stories do you have that you want to tell that Hollywood's not letting you tell? Um, bring those stories to me. I said, well, funny you should ask. There's this story about my grandmother. Um, and I kind of wrote a couple drafts of it as a short story. I wrote a couple drafts as a script. I'll just send it to you and you can you know, see what you think. So he read it and immediately wanted to do it. And, you know, we set it up there at This American Life and then um, um, produced it, recorded it, and within 48 hours of it airing um, on the radio, started getting phone calls from producers saying, have you ever considered making this into a film? We're interested in optioning it. And I said, well, actually, I am a filmmaker. So, yes, I am interested in making it as a film, but I don't want to option it. I want to make it myself. Um, and so that's kind of how it happened. But, you know, it was also like a very spiritual journey in addition to a practical one, because after the story aired, of course, you know, people wanted to make it, but it also gave me the confidence at that point to uh, know what I didn't want to compromise on. And it was because, you know, throughout the process of doing This American Life, because it's a journalistic show and because... Um, Everything is fact-based, you know? So the first question that the producers at This American Life asked me was not, well, how do we sell this? How do we market this? Wh who's the audience for this? Um, can you change this person into a different race? And can we not do it in Chinese? You know, none of that. It wasn't about how do we dramatize this to sell it. It was about, wow, that's a really interesting idea. I'm really curious. How did your family pull that off? And um, what did they tell you? And how did you feel? And then how? what did they say? And then how did that make you feel? You know, and so it came from this investigative perspective. And um, it was such a pure storytelling experience, just investigating and interviewing my family and coming from a place of curiosity and compassion and empathy that when the Hollywood producers came to me, 
I said, you know, I want to have the same process on the film or I don't want to make it at all because I just, I'm not going to take it somewhere and have it be watered down and not have a, you know, a pure storytelling um, experience and tell the story from my point of view. And so, it, you know, because now it was producers knocking on my door as opposed to me knocking on theirs, I was able to say that and I was able to filter out who I was willing to meet with and who I didn't want to meet with. And then when you sat down to the actual writing process of it, what are the kind of key things that you learned about changing it from kind of the journalistic path that you'd gone down with This American Life to take it into a feature, kind of the idea of drama and comedy and define those genres which you do so beautifully how did that manifest kind of in the writing process and also sorry a language question did you write it in dual language or did you write it kind of in mandarin or english to begin with um i wrote it in english because i speak and i understand chinese but i can't write it so i would hear the dialogue in chinese in my head but then i would translate it in my head and um write it down in english but then once we finished the script, we gave it to a translator to translate. But um, I couldn't read that translated version because I don't read Chinese. So then I had to give that translated version to my parents to read. And then they would read it and say, well, this doesn't sound right. Why does this? And I was like, that's not what I meant. I meant this thing. I'm like, well, that's not what the translator wrote down. So, you know, so there was a lot of back and forth in order to get the dialogue um, in, a, in a really colloquial way. Um, and then um, the writing process from podcast to script was, um, well, first of all, was like trying to figure out how to tell the story visually. And um, I wanted the film to really be filled with a lot of silence and really linger on those silences and have negative space and have these awkward long frames. And, you know, so I was just looking at different references, um, you know, yeah, a lot of other directors, but I was also looking at genre films like thrillers and horror films because I wanted to um, capture the tension, the interiority of the characters through the camera. So even though the characters are sitting around a t round table talking about you know what the food and the wedding and all these cheerful things, I wanted to give a sense of what Billy was feeling, which is that there's this monster in the room, there's this sense of dread, and the monster's gonna pop its head out at any moment, the monster being the lie. And so, or the truth, or the truth right, <laughs> exactly. And so um, I used the camera to create that sense of dread um, so that there's this juxtaposition of tone of like, you know, Nine Nine being really cheerful, but then the camera telling us that something there's something else in the room. So working with your DOP then, um, Anna Solano? Solano, um, Francesa Solano. Um, in terms of this kind of very, almost, correct me if I'm wrong, but it looks like it's filmed in kind of a landscape mm -hmm. in terms of how you'd film kind of a visual landscape, but yet kind of in those, especially in all those family meal scenes, how you can see each person and kind of each one as kind of, you go on, rea you realize that each one has got their own kind of lie or their own truth or their own internal kind of drama going on. And those are revealed through those moments. Um, how did you work with her to kind of create, you know, that style for the film? Yeah, we talked a lot about shooting um, um, 
uh, you know, what, what, which aspect ratio? Like how wide the frame? And a lot of family dramas are shot four by three, which is a taller frame. It gives a sense of claustrophobia of the walls closing in. And so at first we thought we would shoot um, in that frame. But then we realized that, you know, we don't have a lot of time to shoot. We, sh we had 24 days um, in China total. And, um, and we have a lot of family members. You know, when you have 13 people in a room, if you do coverage of everybody and do it that way, it's going to take forever. And so we really decided to embrace the, you know, wider uh, frame that is normally used for landscapes, mountains and trees, forest. Um, but we wanted to paint a landscape of a family and so that way we can include all the faces in one frame and that way it would also represent the collective as one singular unit and that's how much of the family functions throughout the film is as a collective and when you take the family out and you put just Billy in that frame you really feel her isolation you feel the lack and all the extra space that you know we were so used to seeing the family in and so that juxtaposition was great both for filling the screen as well as for creating the sense of isolation and kind of I suppose then taking Billy in isolation she's such a cipher for a person stuck between two worlds kind of the often kind of immigrants children are kind of not quite fitting in in one or the other or kind of then when you revisit something you know like revisiting your kind of parents childhood home it changing every time you go and you realizing those changes are more of a dramatic level how did you work with um Aquafina to kind of develop her role as kind of the outsider that's kind of learning her own truth at the same time um yeah I mean I think first of all I told her that she was not playing me and she should not try to play some version of me or do an imitation and that it was really about just channeling her own relationship with her own grandmother her own sense of um, impending loss as her grandmother gets older she was raised by her Chinese grandmother in New York um, and then also you know I think she grew up her mother passed away when she was four so there was a lot of tragedy in her life and as a kid she realized that she had this special gift which is um, humor and comedy and a sense of um, humor and and so she would just you know come into the room and tell a joke and it would um, alleviate the tension in the family and so she realized that was her superpower she would always do that and it's in a way a defense mechanism it's also what she's built her career on and so it was difficult for her not to use that muscle every time we would go into a scene she would want to she would actually feel very uncomfortable because She's actually in China as a Chinese American, and uh, com but completely doesn't fit in. She's not used to the lack of personal space. She's not used to the fact that people are staring at her, but not because she's you know a viral sensation or a, a famous actress, but just because of something else. They're just like something's weird about her. She doesn't quite belong, and and she got paranoid, and you know, so she had all of these things that we all feel when we go back to our home country and we don't really fit in. And so I had to tell her to use that. And she would say, but I'm just so uncomfortable. I said, great. Well, then use that and channel it. Instead of cracking a joke with the crew to dissipate the tension because that's what you're used to doing. And so it took her a like, like a moment to kind of switch to figure out how to turn off that muscle and turn on a different one, which is to channel the vulnerability and just be and be in the discomfort and be in the silence and let us see it on your face. Um, but once she kind of tapped into that, then it was super 
easy because it was almost just like you could just pop her into the scene and she even though we shot it all out of order she knew exactly where she had to be um, do we have any questions in the audience it's, it's just that um, at the end you say she's still alive how did um, how did how did she get told and what happened? She did not get told. She still does not know. So she's going to see the film and find out? Um, <laughs> we don't know. She hasn't seen the film yet, and uh, so we're still debating what to do. Gosh. I, really? Uh, she came on set, though, while you were filming? Yeah, she, you know, wanted to be around, and, you know, what other chance is she going to get to see her American granddaughter shooting a movie in her neighborhood? So she was, like, two blocks from where we were shooting a lot of times. And she would come down, and I would tell the crew, "Don't tell any, don't tell her." Um, and um, and and the first day of production, they made T-shirts that said "Nai Nai," which because at the time that was the name of the production company, and um, so they made T-shirts to hand out to the crew. And I saw that I, I saw people wearing it, and I was like, "What are you guys doing? Nai Nai's gonna come visit set." And so I had to confiscate all of the shirts <laughs> um, before my grandmother could come. Yeah. Um. Thank you so much. It's an exquisite film. Um, and um, my grandmother raised me a million miles from this, but it really resonated. Um, I thought the use of music was really beautiful and very powerful, and I was just interested to know what choices you made and um, if you knew what music you were going to use and how the score was written. Yeah, thank you. Um, uh, well, I, I, I was really inspired by... Um, the idea of this gr the Greek choir, the Greek chorus. Um, and so I knew that I wanted a classical score, but I wanted it arranged entirely for voice. And um, it started out with this idea of like multitude of voices that represents the collective, it represents family and society and the pressure that Billy feels. And so in moments where, you know, she feels really tense, you know, we have this wall of voices come down um, that's, you know, in a me very melodramatic way, but it, it feels to her like she's crushed by the pressure of society and the voices of her family, and she doesn't have her own voice. Um, but we also juxtapose it in certain moments with a soloist who sings falsetto. It sounds like a soprano, but it's actually um, a baritone male who's singing in falsetto. And we use that um, to kind of represent her individuality and her voice. And that's a sort of nonconformist voice, right? Um, and yeah, and so that was mostly the idea of it. And I also, being a classically trained pianist, as Billy is, I wanted there to be no piano, um, which is just a conceptual idea. But I thought, you know, there would be no piano at all in the score, except for um, the, you know, the moment where she actually plays. Um, yeah, so, th and, and the Leonard Cohen song that's at the end was always, it was actually written into the script, and my producers were like, um, yeah, you're not supposed to do that, because uh, we'll talk about that later. I was like, no, 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 you have to get me that song. Um, and so from the beginning, I was fighting for that song, and in the end, one, we couldn't afford it, but two, we decided that for such a movie about, you know, women, that his voice actually felt, like, wrong. It felt too deep. Um, and so we ended up, you know, getting um, part of the rights so that we could do um, our, our own version of it. And we got a female vocalist to do the um, do her take on it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Again, it was um, amazing. I was going to say, Gongsi Gongsi from a, <laughs> a, a baby immigrant Asian as well. Thank but um, yeah, I, what I was going to say was, yeah, you talked a lot, I guess, about 
tell at first uh, when you were taking it around, as I can imagine, that there was uh, a lot. Uh, there were a lot of people trying to get you, I guess, to Americanize the story and bring it that way. But I guess in the production process, when you were going to China, to did you also find on that end almost that there were also, uh, I guess, still people trying to understand the story from that end as well? And I wondered whether you could talk about that process of um, having to go not only abroad as a director to produce your film, but almost as well like having to, I don't know how to describe it other than like translate backwards and some of maybe what you either learned and was useful for that process to actually be producing it there with people there. Yeah, you've been translating for the Chinese people, like locals or Yeah, well, I, I or, guess or as well, because like, I was going to say, like, as this was said, like an immigrant child myself, often what I find, or maybe like a little bit of a insecurity that I have, is that I'm so used to being here and, you know, you're thinking about translating your culture to a, like, Western audience, but vice versa, right? Which is, like, I guess, like, so much of Billy's stories simultaneously about what that displacement means when she goes home. Mm -hmm. And I guess for you as a filmmaker making the film, what was that journey like almost taking this film to China, not just to make, but also as part of distribution? Um, yeah, well, I mean, earlier in the process when I was not getting any... Um, positive feedback from American producers. Um, a few, few people suggested that I talk to Chinese investors and um, that maybe this is really a film for the Chinese market. You know, and back then I didn't have the language really to, to kind of talk about that. But I was like, this is, I don't really want that. Like as an American who lives here, like I'm making films, I think here for, or not, he where am I? London. Okay, so not here. You, for the you know what I mean for the U.S. for the West for the Western, uh, but like um, uh, but but you know it's like when I so but but anyways I thought well I, I want to make the film so I just um talked to a couple investors and they were even worse they were like well if you're gonna make the film for a Chinese audience the main character can't be Billy because um her her point of view is too Westernized and. Uh, you know, what would be funny, though, if we're going to do cultural clash is that if she brought home her white boyfriend and he didn't understand the language or the culture and he was really like silly and everyone just made fun of him and laughed at him. And that would be funny. But she has to marry him for grandma's sake. And, you know, so that was like their version of of the movie that I was like, well, I don't want to make that version of the movie either. Um, and then. Yeah, and so there was a lot of like back and forth translating where even on the set, it was an extension of these cultural differences where, you know, um, the Chinese crew would talk to each other in a certain way. And especially because my producers are American and, um, and you know, completely does not speak any Chinese uh, and was first trip to China, you know, aside from our location scouting trip. And so there was a lot of stuff that they didn't understand, but I understood culturally and I could overhear. The way that you've done navigating around all of that is at its heart make something that is actually a universal film about kind of family dynamics with obviously a very specific cultural background, but it is essentially about kind of how a family in whatever context and wherever they are kind of relating, you know, each family around a dining table like that from wherever you are could be having conversations like that. One thing that is kind of perhaps not intrinsically Western and kind of goes the other way, which is kind of the beauty of it, is the point of view of agency. 
in terms of in very many kind of Western screenplays, you have the idea that, you know, there's the protagonist has a role and a purpose and a sense of agency where they've got to get somewhere or get, you know, there's a reveal, there's some sort of catharsis at the end. That kind of turns on her head because Billy has no agency in this and kind of, you know, her purpose is taken away and it's left up into the kind of the hands of her family and culturally. Um, how did that kind of translate in terms of A, with your producers and then, you know, kind of with, you know, a wider audience as well? Yeah, it was really challenging because earlier drafts of the script, um, you know, the producers kept saying, well, she needs, even in the radio show, it was like, she needs to be active. Your main character has to be active. We have to feel her presence. What is she doing? And in fact, the challenge for her is to do nothing, right? And she can't do nothing. She has to do something. She wants to do something. She wants to tell the truth. Um, but the challenge is for her to say nothing, do nothing, and just be. And she can't. Um, but at the same time, that's the character. But we also don't want you know, the audience to feel like she's doing nothing. And so how do you drive the movie forward? And so I have, I'd done a couple drafts where I gave her more of, agen of an agenda, where she maybe was uh, knowing her grandma's going to die, trying to find an old lover from, you know, the army that she had and trying to reconnect them or trying to just giving her some purpose. But it always felt wrong because it always then shifted the emotion an emotional core of the film which is the inability to do nothing while your grandmother's dying and not knowing how to say goodbye Th that's where I wanted to stay and I wanted to capture that tension and so the minute you give her something to do it does the same thing for the audience that it does for the character which is to um, distract from the pain um, and so it, it just felt like two different films um, and so that was really challenging to kind of always come back to this version and say to the producers, like, that this is what happened and this is what I want to explore and that I didn't want to deviate from and create, you know, and Hollywoodize it in any way. Um, but there were always pushes, like, even with the, the wedding, it feels like the natural climax of the film and something really dramatic should happen. Like, maybe she finds out the truth, maybe... Um, she she passes out and has to be rushed to the hospital and then finds out the truth, like all of those sort of, you know, cliches, right, or what you would expect. And I just kept saying, no, what's dramatic about the film is the fact that nothing dramatic happens. And you keep desiring and expecting that something dramatic ought to happen in this kind of a setup, right, where a lie is being kept from somebody um, in such a dramatic way and such a ridiculous, farcical way. Um, but the, fa the fact is it's dramatic because nothing happens except internally. You know, you just get sadder and sadder. You just want things to ha happen. And meanwhile, grandma's like, everything's fine. I'm just hanging out, you know, having a good time. And so what do you do then? And, um, and I said, and they said, well, you know, so then what? After the wedding, like, there's some people cry. And what's the catharsis? What's the sort of payoff, right? When, uh, even when Billy, you know, lies, agrees in a way to join the lie because she goes and gets the, the, the result and they doctor it. Um, is there now a moment of catharsis between her and her mother where the mom says, you know, I'm proud of you and, you know, gives her a hug or says, you know, like, yeah, like, you, you, you come to understand us. And I was like, no, nothing like that. I, I was like, you know, I think in my mind they just, they, there's a walk. And I called it this, like, the gangster walk. And uh, my producer's like, what? They just, like, they can't just walk. They have to say something or something has to happen. I was like, no, they just walk in a really epic way. And um, they were just like, no, 
And I was like, just trust me. Um, and so it was that kind of back and forth. And, and sometimes I would like write a scene just to kind of make them happy. And then a couple drafts later, I'd take it out. Or, um, you know, there's, but they were also right about certain moments where they would say, you should get the reverse shot. And, and then I would, and then we would use it. Um, like one idea was when Nine Eye reads the document, um, my idea was that we never see the reaction, we just see her. And uh, my producer said, let's just get a reaction shot of the family just in case we need to see their anxiety or their relief or whatever it is. And so then my DP and I are like, fine, we'll do it for you. We're never going to use it. But then we came up came up with that sort of um, classic shot of everyone looking at the camera awkwardly. And it was used as the image, you know, for throughout for promoting the film as well. And so it was such a true collaboration. But... Um, Definitely, there was a lot of moments where it felt like on paper it would not work, but that because we made it a cinematic moment, it does pay off. What's next for you? Um, I'm working on a science fiction film. It's um, uh, it's a very grounded, what I call a mundane science fiction, because even though it's sci-fi and it deals with in a world with VR, it's ultimately about a relationship and family. And it's about a couple who um, can't have children in the real world, and they go into a VR world in order to experience what it's like to be parents, and they have digital children. Um, but, the f but the feelings are very much real, and so something happens where they end up losing the children. And so it, it's, it's about, um, you know, what does it mean to love and to grieve something that never really existed? Thank you for coming. Thank you, Lulu. Thank you. Yeah.